0: Welcome to Talks at Advent, homilies and reflections given at the Church of the Advent, a Western Rite Orthodox mission in Atlanta, Georgia. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, God is one. Amen. As you see, we just extinguished the Christ candle, a way of showing that the light of Christ visible to us from Easter all the way through these 40 days, is now hidden from our eyes. On this Feast of the Ascension, therefore, we make a special effort to assemble together, to sing of our Lord's ascending into heaven, to declare our faith of that fact in the creed, to listen attentively to the proclamation of that fact from the Holy Scriptures, and to participate in that fact in Holy Communion. How exactly does receiving communion make us participate in Christ's ascension? It's because the ascended Christ, who we commune with, is ascended. We uh, we commune with the ascended Christ. As St. Leo the Great, Bishop of Rome from AD 440 to 461 says, that presence, which till the ascension was visible of our Redeemer, was changed into a sacramental presence, that our faith might be more excellent and stronger, sight having given way to doctrine. In other words, the visible presence of the crucified and resurrected Jesus has now become for us the sacramental presence of the crucified, resurrected, and ascended Jesus. As we say in our Eucharistic prayer every Sunday in the Liturgy of St. ticon having in remembrance his blessed passion and precious death, his mighty resurrection and glorious ascension, So the body and blood we partake of are of the very body and blood that Jesus raised up to the throne of God in his ascension. As marvelous as that is, what exactly does it mean? In terms of the story of our salvation, what exactly is the point of Jesus ascending to heaven? Believe it or not, there are at least three very crucial ways that the ascension is vital to our salvation. I want to explore three of those ways tonight. The first involves the kingship of Jesus. We often call Jesus king without realizing exactly in what ways he is a king. If we recall the gospel passion narratives from just a few short weeks ago during Holy Week, we'll recall that as the sign above Jesus' head on the cross read, he is Jesus of Nazareth, king of the Jews. Jesus was as St. Peter declared affirmatively before anyone else, the Christos, the Greek translation of the Hebrew Mashiach, or Messiah, which means the anointed one. Anointing means the ritual consecration of someone with holy oil for a specific purpose, in this context for the purpose of becoming a great king, to rescue all of Israel from exile and to gather the whole world into the worship of the one true God, Israel's God, Yahweh. By the time of Jesus, it was clearly understood by the Jews that the scriptures spoke of a coming figure who would be a successor to David's throne, who would be a mighty king, not just of the Jews, that is, of the people of the tribe of Judah, but of all the tribes of Israel and even all the world outside of Israel, a king of kings, a lord of lords. So how do we know that Jesus was this looked-for king? Well, look at the evidence he gave John the Baptist's disciples when they came to ask him this very question. He said, "Tell John what you have seen and heard. The blind received their sight, the deaf their hearing." This is exactly what Isaiah 35 said would happen. "Good news is preached to the poor." This is what Isaiah 61 said would happen. Jesus simply lived the life that the scriptures said that the Messiah would live. He also pointed out that King David, prophesying about his own descendant, said this, The Lord, that is Yahweh, said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I put thine enemies under thy feet. The Lord, Yahweh, the God of Israel, said to my Lord. How can David call his own descendant, his own son, his Lord, unless that descendant is more than just human He had to be human to be David's descendant, but he had to be more than that for David to call him Lord. When Jesus pointed this out to the scribes and Pharisees, they were very cross. But then what does Yahweh tell David's Lord? He tells him, sit at my right hand until your enemies are conquered. God, the high God above all gods, tells David's Lord to sit at my right hand. What does that mean? I have no idea what the interpretation was of that among the rabbis for for all those centuries. But this is exactly what the prophet Daniel saw in his vision when one like a son of man, that is a human man, ascended on the clouds to the throne of Yahweh, revealing his own divine status, the divine status of that human figure rising up. So now at the ascension, we know beyond doubt that this figure of whom Isaiah spoke, whom David called Lord, and whom Daniel saw ascending in his vision, is Jesus of Nazareth, because the disciples saw him lifted up before them into the heavens. Jesus is the messianic king, the king of all kings, who has fulfilled all those prophecies and continues to fulfill them even now by continuing to gather both the lost sheep of Israel And also those throughout the world who are outside that covenanted people by being drawn in by the new covenant of his blood. And you see, we need this king to rule us. This is why this is relevant to our salvation. We need this king to establish a kingdom of peace and righteousness in which for us to live. We need a powerful king who will subdue all these enemies, the forces of evil and sin, Because without a king to do that, our salvation would not be complete. We would ever be subject to pain and trial and tribulation and the forces of evil. We need a king with power and authority to finally and fully defeat that. At the ascension, we see Jesus claiming the fullness of that kingship and beginning to establish that peace and taking his rest that rest which God establishes on the seventh day of creation, that rest which he offered to his chosen people, but then swear in his wrath that they would not enter into that rest, those disobedient people in the desert of Sinai. But now finally, that rest is established in Christ for all mankind, not just for the chosen people of Israel, but for all mankind, if, as the author of Hebrews insists, Quoting Psalm 95, we do not harden our hearts. When he ascends to sit on his father's throne, that's him establishing this peace. That's him taking his seat as king. Today is his coronation, the crowning of the king who will put all things into subjection under him and will fill all things and all creatures. Crown him with many crowns. Or worship the King, all glorious above, and bring forth the royal diadem and crown him Lord of all. The second thing that Jesus' ascension means for our salvation is that it is the completion of his atoning sacrifice. Wasn't his death on the cross the completion of his sacrifice? Well, it was certainly the completion of his perfect life as an innocent and obedient follower of his Father's will. That's what he declares is accomplished from the cross. It is finished. A human life from conception to death lived in perfect unity with the will of God. No one had ever done that before. And no one but God become man could have done it. But what was lacking still from that perfect offering of himself, that perfect completion of a life lived in God's will? What was lacking was for that sacrifice that holy blood which he shed for our sins to be taken into, not the temple in Jerusalem, but the temple in heaven, the real thing. Since the exodus from Egypt, priests according to the old covenant who were priests in the line of the tribe of Levi and after the family of Aaron, they would enter into the holiest place in the tabernacle once a year, uh, later built into the temple, and they would sprinkle the blood of an innocent animal as a way to demonstrate that the life of something innocent was required to cover the sinfulness and unworthiness of guilty people. But Jesus, establishing a new covenant with his new sacrifice, became a priest of a new order, an order like that of Melchizedek, which, though I wish we could go into a whole study of this, for now we'll have to suffice in saying The point of Melchizedek's priesthood was that he was a priest king, a figure who is both a father and leader of his people, and also the intermediary who stands in the gap and bridges their relationship to God. And he had a line that was before the priesthood of the Levites and and Aaron's family. And this is that new kind of priesthood that Jesus Christ establishes. So he he has a new sacrifice, a new covenant, in the order of a new priesthood. And he brings this into not the old tabernacle, but the new, rather the real heavenly tabernacle of which the one built in the desert and then turned into a temple in Jerusalem was only a copy. Hebrews 9, 11 through 12 puts it this way. But Christ came as high priest of the good things to come with the greater and more perfect tabernacle not made with hands, that is not of this creation. Not with the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood, he entered the most holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. There's a beautiful symmetry that's often overlooked regarding this entrance of Christ into the heavenly temple on the Feast of the Ascension. If you remember, 40 days after he was born, when we celebrate the feast of the entrance of um, the Lord into the temple, which we call Candle Mass as well, Forty days after he was born, his parents brought Jesus as an infant into the temple in Jerusalem because he was the firstborn of Mary. And an innocent animal, or rather a few animals, little pigeon doves, were offered in his place to God, according to the old law, in order to redeem him, that is to free him from an old obligation to priestly ministry, which God had imposed on the Hebrews long, long ago. The beautiful irony of this is that Forty days after becoming the firstborn of a new creation, he enters as the true high priest into the heavenly temple for all mankind so that we could be redeemed, not from priestly service, but from the bondage of death. So our salvation, again, would not have been complete unless Jesus entered into the holiest of holies to present his own blood, his own sacrifice in the immediate presence of God the Father. So there's a third crucial aspect of the ascension that completes our salvation. It's the elevation of our humanity into the pure and unmediated presence of the fire of divinity. Christ ascended as king. Christ ascended as high priest and sacrifice. But Christ also ascended as man, He is the true Adam, the true human being who encapsulates all of our shared nature. And this is important. The human nature that we have is shared. We as Orthodox Christians believe that we are not island individuals, but rather, as C.S. Lewis said in Mere Christianity, people look separate because you see them walking about separately. If you could see humanity spread out in time as God sees it, It would not look like a lot of separate things dotted about. It would look like one single growing thing, all connected, rather like a very complicated tree. Every individual would appear connected with every other. Consequently, when Christ becomes man, it's as if something which has always affected the whole of the human mass begins at one point to affect that whole human mass in a new way. From that point, the effect spreads through all mankind. This is what St. Paul means when he says in Ephesians 1.10 that Christ sums up or recapitulates all things in himself. All of our humanity is in him now. Or to put it the other way around, his humanity is in all of us now. Because he encapsulates and has become the source of all humanity, when he brought his humanity in the ascension up through first the lower heavens and then through all the ranks of the angelic beings, and then higher and higher through the heavens, finally to the throne of Godhead itself, it means that our human nature has been elevated beyond any other creature in existence. As again, St. Leo the Great said, truly great and unspeakable was the disciples' cause for joy at the ascension. When in the sight of the holy multitude, above the dignity of all human heavenly creatures, the nature of mankind went up to pass above the angels' ranks and to rise beyond the archangel's heights and to have its uplifting limited by no elevation until received to sit with the eternal Father, our human nature should be associated on that throne with the Father's glory to whose nature ours was united in the Son. Until Christ lived that perfect human life in unity with the Father, that path had been closed to us. We couldn't accomplish it. But now, He has, and we have His grace and His sacraments to help us along. Until Christ accomplished the perfect human death and conquered death through His resurrection, that path would have remained closed to us. We would have been trapped in death forever. But now, we will all conquer death with Christ in our own resurrection. And, Until Christ raised our humanity to the infinite heights of Godhead, we could have never dreamed of so great a destiny. But now we have the path to deification open to us, to becoming united with God in infinitely multiplying degrees, partaking of the divine nature, 2 Peter 1.4, and transformed from glory to glory into the divine image, 2 Corinthians 3.18. And so we come back to where we began. Again, St. Leo tells us, Since then, Christ's ascension is our uplifting, and the hope of the body is raised, where the glory of our head has gone before. Let us exalt, dearly beloved, with worthy joy and delight in the loyal giving of thanks. This was a sermon that he delivered in church. This was in the context of the divine liturgy of the Holy Mass. Thanksgiving, that's what our response should be from all this. Thanksgiving, that is, Eucharist, Eucharistia. When in a moment we enter into the heavenly realms with Christ through our prayers, and the multitude of the heavenly host joins us with singing, Holy, 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 we will witness and partake of the miracle of the presence of the ascended, divine and human Lord Jesus descending to us in the sacrament of our thanksgiving. The path to a holy life, through death to resurrection, and then to the infinite adventure of deification. It begins this moment when we eat Christ's body and blood. Thanks be to God. To our Lord Jesus Christ in his glorious ascension who with the Father on his throne on high and the Holy Spirit whom he sends to us at Pentecost. One God, we offer thanks and praise forever. Amen. Talks at Advent. Homilies and Reflections given at the Church of the Advent, a Western Rite Orthodox mission in Atlanta, Georgia.